to At Least There's a Dog, a Star Trek Enterprise review podcast in which we will boldly go episode by episode through the Star Trek series that, whatever its flaws, undeniably has the most dog. We are your hosts, Mandy and Josh, and on tonight's episode, we will be discussing episode 16, Fusion. That, that was a weird one. And this is all made, this, this was a very uncomfortable episode in a lot of ways. And it's made all the more uncomfortable by the fact that uh, one of our other favorite shows is uh, Steven Universe, where fusion means something really different than it means. Well, yes, here. yes. But even then, like, the... Hmm. But, like, I've got, it means that I've got associations with the word fusion that were all just really messed up. I, I'd forgotten what the title was. Like, most of the episode wasn't dealing with fusion, but then it... You know, I guess fusion is referring to the mind meld, but... Yeah, I guess so. I, I can't... I've been trying to think of a way that that title, like, punnily refers to the B-plot, and I don't think there is one. No. No. I think it's all about just the, the, the centerpiece of this episode. Or, or it could be the fusion of logic and emotion. I guess. We'll get to that. Okay. I have thoughts about that. That is not Enterprise's fault. Enterprise did not invent that particular Star Trek thing, but I have... Thoughts with a capital T about that business. Oh boy, sounds fun. Uh, let's get down to this. Yeah, I'm sure none of them are original, but I have them anyway. <laughs> uh, shall I tell the fine people yeah. what the episode was about? Okay, let me find it in here. I'm gonna have to get a new notebook soon. All right, so this was the episode Fusion. Last time on Shuttle Pod 1, we had Dramatic Irony, the episode. This time we have Tonal Whiplash, the episode. It all begins when the Enterprise comes across some unusual Vulcans who do unusual things, like declaring that it's very good to meet Captain Archer. T'Pol tells us that the Vulcans are Vitosh Kator, which means Vulcans who don't follow Gene Roddenberry's rules for Mr. Spock. <laughs> On the B-side of the episode, we have Trip Tucker's heartwarming budding friendship with Kav, a Vulcan engineer who is understandably confused by the rules of human football. On the other side, we have an honest-to-God rape metaphor, in which T'Pol is uncomfortably pursued by a heavily breathing Vulcan dude with a distressingly green face who takes an unhealthy interest in her emotional development. Shifting back and forth across these plots grows more and more uncomfortable, but hey, at least there's some consistency. The chef still isn't real, and Mayweather is still a prop. What do we make of these new Vulcans? Will they resolve their, uh... Tensions with the crew. Oh no. By the time they leave, will Scott Bakula be more in touch with his emotions? The star of the show, Porthos, missed a great opportunity to be part of Kov's education on human customs. You're very right about that. Aren't I? Wouldn't that have been charming if they had introduced him to the foreign... Well, actually, no, I guess the Vulcans do have pets. Brave noble Achaya. Brave noble Achaya, Indeed. Then again, Spock was half human, so I don't know if pets are considered like a weirdo human thing on Vulcan. But I mean, Aichaya was not an Earth pet. No, he was not. So anyway, pets are but not this unknown. Is, this on is Vulcan. not a Star Trek the Animated Series podcast. It is not yet. Um, but <laughs> it would have been a fun introduction to the Earth concept of dogs. Yeah, it would have. And that's an Earth concept. Mm-hmm. I'm getting excited because I know in a couple episodes we're going to have an episode that uh, those of you who look at the thump, the like the podcast logo that I made are, are going to find familiar. Oh yeah, that'll be fun when we get to the episode that our logo comes from. Yeah, but we'll get there. 
Okay, I'm, got looking, an episode I'm now. looking forward to that because it's a Ferengi episode, and I like Ferengi episodes. They're usually fun and not deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm left with This episode was weird. Like, like I don't feel like I can actually pass a judgment on whether I liked it or didn't like it, because it just it was just like, is this a thing that I like or dislike? It it, it had elements in all directions. The the central feeling I get from this is these are the Vulcans that your mother warned you about. These are the Vulcans <laughs> who stay out late, do drugs, try to get other Vulcans to do drugs. I mean, they're not actually doing drugs. They're just doing emotions. Um, but like, like they, they, are, they are the hippies. So this, that... is, so this is Vulcan reefer madness. Where most of the Vulcans who are in touch with their emotions or have succumbed to Demon Reefer are handling it pretty well. But then there's that one guy who goes on a psychotic episode and... Like, I don't know. Like, this, it's somebody. not... It's or not, rapes somebody. It's not obvious, like, whether this was, you know, an isolated incident or is a, a usual thing that all of the... What are we going to call them? The... Uh, Vosh Gosh Pagosh. Them, uh, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, they do. I don't know. Now, I got the impression that the thing that happened with T'Pol was kind of an isolated incident. Like, maybe not the first time that that particular guy had ever done something questionable like this, but I didn't get the impression that the others were mm -hmm. like him. Yeah. And, like, you can look at this however you want. He like, was the I, pusher. He was I, the emotion pusher. I used, like, you know, drug dealers and things as, as an example but there there's also you know like some parents out there who are like oh you stay away from them you know those those ones are you know protestants or, or something <laughs> like that I, I don't think this was about catholics no, and protestants no, no, this is not like, a catholic protestant metaphor <laughs> no it's not but you know there's they were whatever your preferred type of people you want your kids to stay away from these vulcans yeah. were them yeah no they're the dangerous ones and most of them aren't particularly dangerous, except there was that one guy who was clearly kind of dangerous. Well, I mean, it also seems like there's, you know, it goes against a lot of the things that they've trained their whole lives to do. I mean, even just one night of not meditating and T'Pol gets weird dreams and gets physically ill because mm -hmm. of that. So what they're doing is not you know, perfectly safe. It's case. true. It also means that Vulcan training is really easy to break. It does kind of indicate that, Though, yeah. But well, I, thought we, I thought we knew this. Like, well, it does kind of... I don't know. It seems like T'Pol might be a more emotional Vulcan than most. Could be. Could be. Which is, I don't know, it's a little like saying that, uh, I don't know, that's a less cute manatee than most. It's still going to be an incredibly cute manatee. And there are no less cute manatees, so that's a moot point. But same basic idea. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, like, you know, she she was curious about this stuff mm -hmm. and about exploring her emotional side. She was kind um, of, like, at the first reaching for an excuse to, to not uh, explore this at all. But then Archer's just like, yeah, you're going to go hang out with them. But also, when she started hanging out with them, like, you know, she made it clear that she was willing to explore this idea. Just then she started exploring it and got freaked out. Yeah. Which is understandable. Mm -hmm. But yeah, Vulcan training is really fragile. Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
So, but yeah, overall, like, I got very excited near the beginning of the episode because I thought, you know, this is, this is something that I don't think Star Trek has explored very well. Like, because, you know, the devotion to logic, the teachings of uh, Surak, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that is a choice. So it's logical that there would be some Vulcans who choose not to do that. And it would be interesting to explore what happens with that. And then the question that I asked you was, aren't those called Romulans? And I don't know the answer to that. Because the story of Romulans is that they're, you know, they and the Vulcans, was it that they shared a common ancestor or that they They, were the same people or? One of those, yeah. I'm really unclear on the origin story of the Romulans. Also, bring back Cybok, you cowards. Oh, dear. (laughs) We explored Uh... this plot. A while ago, it was in Star Trek V. It was all about a Vulcan who's in touch with his emotional side, and he can take away your pain. And most of us have tried very hard to forget that. Captain Kirk needs his pain. (laughs) He wants his pain. (laughs) I may have mentioned before, my love for Star Trek V is not as ironic as it should be. Yes, I agree with that statement. But anyway, yes, bring back Cybok. Anyway, um, I felt that the they started going in some interesting directions, but then in the end, I feel like the they didn't fully explore this. They kind of copped out and turned it into a um, a rape metaphor. And also, I think they and this has nothing to do with Cybok here got cowardly. <laughs> okay, which is understandable. They were walking on some very very thin eggshells there. Yeah, but if you're gonna get if you're gonna get cowardly about your episode, then at that point, do something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, on the other hand, I'd rather they get a little bit cowardly and, you know, choose not to just completely change the meaning of all things Vulcan. <laughs> um, true, true. And, uh, you know, like I think all in all, they did a fairly good job of keeping it within Star Trek canon. Mm-hmm. Um, unlike certain other Star Trek shows from the last three years. Yep. Um, Also, it is sometimes worth telling parts of a story, even if you do get cowardly or if you get a lot of notes from the network. I'm just not sure this story was in that category. Yeah, I don't know. But it was, uh, it was, uh, it was interesting. It was, it it was unusual for Star Trek. I will give it that. Yeah. Uh... Anything before we go to pluses and minuses? I, I think uh, I think we're ready to start pluses and minusing is it. Which, you know, these days that means pluses, minuses, and then tiny little things that we point out for whatever reason. Yeah. Pluses and minuses. Let's keep things simple. Okay. Um, so all of my pluses fall under the category of the B-plot. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but I'll kind of divide them up a little bit. Um, the guy who played Kav... Mm-hmm. Um, Trip's new Vulcan buddy, who's just really, really curious about whether all the rumors that he's heard about what humans are like are true, mm-hmm. um, really liked him. Thought the actor who played him did a great job. Um, his name was John Harrington Bland, which is a terrible name for an actor or anybody else. Bland is just not a good last name. It's not. Um, but he was very good. Um, he was an extremely likable character. He had a oh, couple totally. of... Uh, he had a couple of development moments um, involving uh, him being estranged from his father that were genuinely moving. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and the two of them just had really good interactions. Um, one of my favorite lines from the episode that, oh geez, did I write it down? I better have written it down. Yeah, I did. So um, Trip has been given the assignment to try to convince him to contact his father who is dying and with whom he has not spoken in several years. And Trip starts telling him this goofy story about how he wanted to ask a girl to dance once and being a dumb preteen boy, he of course did not and stood in the corner making armpit farts with his friends. I made up the armpit farts part, but I assume that's what was happening. It's um, a fair assumption. Yeah. Um, and what he tells him is, regret is one of the strongest emotions and one of the saddest. Mm-hmm. And I was like, huh, that crossed over from being faux profound into actually kind of profound. Yeah. And it was a good, serious note to what had been up to that point a kind of lighthearted, goofy plot. Mm-hmm. And it was handled very, very well. Yeah, no, I have the, so the, few complaints about the B plot. The B plot was great with um, just like it starts out legitimately hilarious. Yes. <laughs> so you mean they're is not trying? Tr- is it true that you can mate year round with whatever woman you want? <laughs> you have six meals a day? And Tripp was just like, well, I can't. <laughs> he, didn't actually, <laughs> he didn't actually say that, but his face said it. <laughs> yeah. And no, they, I, I think that he had heard of. Um, the eating habits of hobbits. Yes. Uh, instead of humans. Someone read Lord of the Rings and thought it was about humans. It's, it's close. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was delightful. Uh, and it, it's fun, like, looking at what humans are looked at, like, what others think of humans. Yeah. And uh, also, what do, what, what, are the, what are the Vulcan rumors about humans? Apparently, we also sleep more than half the day. Oh, yeah. We sleep more than half the they day. They seem to have us confused with dogs in some cases. <laughs> Is it true that you can mate with anything you want? <laughs> Is it true that you eat whenever you want? <laughs> oh, poor those should have been in the episode. Anyway, yeah. what you got? Uh, I'm going to start with something really, really uh, minor. Um, that... This isn't even a positive. It's just I, I thought it was interesting. That uh, astronomy textbook that Archer had at the very beginning of the episode. Oh, yeah, from the library of Admiral Johnny Archer. Yeah, which was very cute. <laughs> yes. Um, I also was very amused. It looked like the author of that textbook, the author's name was in the Deep Space Nine uh, font and color. <laughs> well, I guess they own that font. I guess so. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of cute. Okay. Um, but also just that whole thing, just like, you know, this, this nebula was on the front of my astronomy book and now I'm there. Yeah, that was cute. It was a cute way to start the episode. Yeah. And it, it's something that I am pleased that Enterprise is still doing after all these episodes. They are still finding ways to make this seem as wondrous as it is. Mm-hmm. They're, they've got that sense of wonder and exploration. Mm-hmm. At this least show when they be, want to. This show would be the last time. Oh, dear. This is not a Star Trek Picard podcast. No, it's not. Um, okay, speaking of Captain Archer, um, I just generally liked him in this episode. He was all around a good guy and a good captain, mm-hmm. which is not always true in every episode. Uh, as I alluded to in my summary, Scott Bakula still has one facial expression, which got a little weird in parts of the episode. But... Um, one of the things that he did early on was that he listened to T'Pol. Hmm. He hasn't done a whole lot of that in the past, but he did it this time. 
They mm-hmm. had a little conversation where she was trying to warn him, like, these are the Vulcans your mother warned you about. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, well, they don't seem, they like, they, they seem fine. But if you're sure, you know, we'll keep an, we'll keep an eye on things. Or I could be wrong. And it was like, good, you're learning. You're mm-hmm. learning that T'Pol knows things that you don't, and you should listen to her periodically. Yeah. All right. So this is another one that I don't know if it's really a positive. Do you have any actual positives? Yes. Yeah, okay, fine. Fine. Okay. Actual positive. I love the response from the... What's the name of the Vulcan who responded to them? Uh, uh, who wanted to eat the chicken? Tavin or something like that? Something like that, yeah. He uh, responds to Hale and has like a positive response to Archer's, you know, we're from Earth. And most of the time when he uses that line... They're like, whatever. Did he say we're from Earth? Because the Vulcans know they're from Earth. Yeah, they, they do. But we, it ended up... But he did He did say, I'm Captain Jonathan Archer. And nobody was like, yeah, yeah, we don't care. Yeah. No, it was great. Because most of the time when Archer answers a hail or hails someone, they're just like, what are you bothering us with? We've got more important things. Yep. And he looked genuinely surprised to have to be... Um, to have his... Hail received so, uh, or I guess they hailed him, but to have a, a conversation over the view screen that went so well. In fact, it went so well that the producers felt it was an appropriate dramatic beat to go into the opening credits on. Yeah. Like. Because it was shocking. Yeah, it was shocking. <laughs> They're used to being just kind of told off when they yeah. say hi to somebody at this but point. But no, here it's so, it's a. It's a moment to commemorate. So the yeah. music swells and then they go into Been along the road, getting from there. No, no, we're not going to do that this episode. Oh, One of these okay. episodes, we're going to do that, though. Okay, fine. Maybe once I figure out what the words are and don't start singing the wrong ones. Uh, nobody will know. <laughs> the words are very generic. Okay. All right. And then on the... Because I'm going to say these things because okay. they don't fit anywhere else. Okay. So... Archer, I think he was joking, but I'm not sure, that usually the recipes that the chefs on their ships have are classified. Still no chef. What if there is a chef, but the chef is classified? Not in-universe by uh, Starfleet, but in the real world. Hi, I'm recording this segment in post. Uh, The segment that was here before has been redacted, so you can't hear about it. Sorry. There were a lot of things that I really liked about this episode, just they all kind of fell under a couple of umbrellas, and most of them had to do with the Uh, B-plot. All right, I'm going to say some That scene in the mess hall. Mm -hmm. Oh, you mean sex! (laughs) (laughs) Lovely, lovely scene. And then um, it's going to be my job to say positive things about did, the A-plot. Did he say Did he say something about uh, they're trying to shorten the yes. periods of time between Ponfar? Yes. Wouldn't that be dangerous for Vulcans who are out on a ship? Not I ass- on Vulcan? I assume. Not near, not near potential lady friends? Do you think everyone on the ship is a male? Everybody we saw was a male. It's true, but I assume there's more than three and of them. And Cobb was very surprised that there were women on the ship. Yeah, okay, maybe. So, I don't know. We don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, that's actually 
You're bringing up uncomfortable questions. <laughs> All right. So now I guess I'd better say some positive things about the A-plot. Okay. All right. I was kind of... I thought it was a very good use of characterization that they built up over the course of the show that the fact that a Vulcan wanted to eat chicken was shocking. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's pretty well established that they don't eat meat, isn't it? Yeah. I guess it's more than just the show. It's like the whole series. But like, I was amused and pleasantly surprised that Archer actually remembered yeah, that they no, don't I, eat meat. I, I like that. <laughs> This he, is... he does learn. Archer learns. That's yeah. one of the themes of this episode. Archer can learn things. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually really liked the scene, in another scene in the mess hall, in the A-plot, where they were talking, where um, Paul and whatever his name is were talking about... Talaris, I think? Are you talking about the creepy one? Yeah. Okay. We're talking about, you know, drinking mint tea. Mm-hmm. And it was just like... This is kind of intense on, on something that, you know, because they're not really talking about tea, but they are talking about tea. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I don't know, I thought it was actually really well done. I wanted to like that scene and we'll get to it when we get to my minuses. Okay. I also like that um, their beverage dispenser, it seems to me like a hyper Keurig. <laughs> like it'll dispense whatever beverage you want, but it, it also still makes the cup. No, it doesn't. It doesn't? No, he took a cup out of a cabinet. Oh, okay. You just weren't paying attention. No, I wasn't. I was listening to their dialogue. Okay. Yeah, no, they've got a a shelf of cups. Okay. Cool. Later on, in the later versions of the replica, it makes the cup for you. So, the replicator, not the replica. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this, I don't think this is a replicator. Yeah. There may be some replicator. They can order it around like you can a replicator. Yeah, but I, I think it's got... Uh, some replicator style stuff in it, maybe somewhere, but it's not like it just produces something whole cloth. I think that it's uh, putting together ingredients and blending them and putting them out or something like that. Okay. They're they're a little bit uh, less technologically advanced. Yeah. Um, another A plot thing that I thought went well, uh, the chaotic jazz music. Like I thought that it was actually very affecting. Yeah. And it, okay, the it, dream it, sequence was very well put together. Oh, I have I have a minus to say that, but we'll get there. I mean, I do too, but yeah. it was very well put together. Yeah, and I, I just thought that the use of that sort of wild, chaotic jazz was, was very, very appropriate for the mm-hmm. situation. Yeah, it was a good use of music. Yep. Okay, now I'm out of uh, okay. positives. Okay, so we're on to minuses, and my primary minus is just... Ugh. <laughs> This episode made me feel like I needed to take a shower. Yeah. And like, now that's not like, that is not on its face a bad thing. You watch Law and Order SVU, which is like always trying okay. to make you want to take a shower. Law and Order SVU is, whether it means to be or not, extremely campy and fun and watchable despite its subject matter. Mm-hmm. You can't take things too seriously when Ice-T is saying them. That is one of the key things about Law & Order SVU. But the point that I'm trying to make is that stories exist to move you. That is generally one of their primary aims, is that they want to move you somewhere emotionally. And moving people to a place of stomach-churning discomfort is just as valid a storytelling endeavor as moving them to a place of joy or sadness or any other emotion that you want to garner from your story. The problem that I had with it here was 
how much it felt like it did not belong with the B-plot. Because Mm. the B-plot was a very sweet and it was a very sweet and happy story that had kind of a lining of sadness and pensiveness. And that meant that it was very, very jarring whenever we switched back to the A-plot. And the things about the A-plot that were done really well, because uh, this episode was directed by Rob Hedden, whose work I'm not familiar with, but uh, I will say that uh, he'd probably, uh, he could, he's probably got a, a good horror film or two in him, because the A-plot was shot like a horror movie. From the moment that Talaris appeared on screen, I thought he had just a screaming neon sign over his head that he was bad news. Not just because the actor was putting in this kind of crazed performance, pretty much. Like, he seemed like a guy who was high on the power of his own emotions all the time. But also just because of the way that he was framed. Especially when he was in shots with T'Pol, he was always framed so that he was much bigger than she was, so that she looked vulnerable in comparison to him. Um, so that he was always a little bit too close to her, so that his breathing was a little bit too loud, his dialogue was a little bit too familiar, and just like the way that atmospheric horror works is by building on your sense of discomfort when you see those interactions, because there's something about, they're familiar interactions, but there's something about them that isn't quite right. And so I was genuinely a little freaked out for her pretty much from the moment they started interacting. And then when they got to the mind meld thing, which uh, I'm guessing we're going to talk about that in a little more detail soon. Um, But uh, I was like, this is not going anywhere good. Mm -hmm. Like, by that point, I I was starting to feel a little bit scared for her. And then we would go back to the B-plot and suddenly everything was fine. And we were having a very traditional Star Trek episode about overcoming your differences and helping people get through their personal problems and interspecies friendship. And so I think that this story could have worked, but I don't think it belonged with this B-plot, and I thought the B-plot was better. Okay. So yeah, that is my major complaint about the A-plot. There were some things that it did very well, but I, oh, just, I felt upset by the fact that it was in this episode. Fair enough. Fair enough. Huh. You noticed a lot of things that I didn't, but that's... I mean, I watch a lot of horror movies, so I pay attention to the way that they're framed, and I can tell when a director is using horror movie tricks. Yeah. So, now you have learned. Now I have learned. Teach me things. Everyone has learned. Um, Oh, wait, now I have to teach you things? Okay, so I was first minus, like, the big... This is the second episode in a row in which which Dream to Paul is treated as a sex object. Yeah. I feel like a broken record talking about that, so it wasn't in mine, but go ahead. It's two in a row. Yeah. That's all I have to say. It's yeah. not good. Stop doing it. Done. Move on. on. Yeah. In general, again, because, like, you know, it's not... Well, actually, it kind of is explicitly sexual, because she was having sex dreams about the dude. Mm-hmm. When she, when she uh, went off her meditation. I almost said medication, because that's also part of the metaphor. But, uh... So, yeah, it was kind of explicitly sexual, but the mind meld is not... Like, you know, it's an intimate experience, like they were saying, but it's not necessarily a sexual act. Um, But he made it that. He made it that. And because of that, like, she's heavily sexualized throughout the entire episode. And it's kind of gross. And I hope they stop doing it soon. Yes. Agreed. On the other hand, I liked her purple shirt. (laughs) 
That was a very nice purple shirt. It looks lovely on Jolene Blaylock. It looks much better than her weird empire-waisted catsuit. Okay. Um, other things. Uh, okay. This is one that I might go on about for a little while, because it's not so much something that bugs me about this episode, though it does bug me about this episode, but something that bugs me about the entire concept of the Vulcans. Bring it! Um, and... It's fun. Well, I guess this wasn't yet in... This isn't New Trek, so this wasn't in the period where they became obsessed with fixing things that Star Trek had done, and filling plot holes and explaining stuff that had happened. Um, New Trek has shown no interest in explaining things well. It doesn't explain things well, but it tries to explain them. It tried to explain the origin story of Tribbles, and we saw how well that Oh my goodness. Don't watch that. No. If anyone tries to get you to watch the quote-unquote short treks, don't. You tried to get me to watch them. Yeah, and then I learned my lesson Mm -hmm. by watching them. There's one in particular that has tribbles in it. Stay away from it. Don't touch it with a 25-foot pole. It's very bad. Um, But they weren't really trying to do this yet, um, so I can't criticize them for having the obsession with fixing things and never fixing the business about what is... What is, why is emotion the opposite of logic? It's not. The opposite of logic is illogic. Sometimes emotions are very logical. Hmm. When a guy is getting all up in your personal space and breathing down your neck and trying to get you to do things you're not comfortable with, the logical thing to do is tell him to go away and then punch him in the face if he doesn't go away. And that is an emotional response. But like, um, logic and emotion are at the opposite ends of a certain personality spectrum like on, are they though i think they are like on the one hand on the one side you have logic and calculation and uh basically just being a computer and on the other side you have emotion and instinct and gut feelings and not thinking. So I think I would mind this less if they framed it as like logic and instinct or logic and passion or something like that. Because the way that it's often been framed in, you know, when human philosophers have debated this is an ongoing war between reason and passion. Or I guess, and they kind of use reason and logic interchangeably. So I think that Mm -hmm. works. And whether, re- and whether reason is or ought to be in control of passions or passion is or ought to be in control of reason. But like, let us say, for example, your father dies. The logical thing to do is to feel sad and to grieve. It's not logical to be like, well, sadness is a social construct. Maybe, I don't know, for humans, yeah, you give yourself time to grieve, but maybe they don't need to if you're a Vulcan. But from the sound of it, like, they've established that Vulcans do have emotions. I mean, I guess it was part of the story that Vulcan emotions are especially yeah. heightened or violent. They're especially powerful. Okay. And so they they keep them under control. And so, again, I could understand it as, like, Vulcans need to try to moderate their emotions or um, Vulcans need to try to moderate their passions, if it were phrased that way. But... Uh, I don't, I don't find it a particularly logical approach to try to repress all of their emotions. I think that is actually profoundly illogical because the Vulcans are smart enough and cultured enough and have been a species for long enough 
that they have to know about, you know, some of the bad side effects that that could lead to. They depends on your values. But I mean, what are what are their values that would stop them from understanding that? They're very spiritual. They're very traditional. But they believe that the the calculated answer is the right answer, not not the answer that feels right. The needs yes. the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, and that is why Spock, uh, you know, goes to kill himself in. Spoilers, Star Trek Two. I the statute of limitations for spoilers is up on this one. Yeah, um, and to them that was the right choice. And when you think about it logically, it's the right choice. But then it feels awful until you know what they're going to do in Star Trek Three. Um, and yeah, but it, I don't know because <clears throat> at the end of Star Trek Two, they also made his sacrifice out to be an extremely human thing. So I don't think that was the result of pure Vulcan logic. I think, like, for the Vulcans, the trolley problem is something that can be calculated. Whereas for humans with our emotions, it can't. Because we can't separate the emotion from, like, what is our value? Our value is for, you know, lives to be good and for people to be happy and stuff. Whereas the Vulcans, I think, are a lot more um about like what is the ultimate good of the community as measured by total number of lives and adequate levels of you know so extreme utilitarianism something like that maybe that's the thing that bugs me because i think utilitarianism is a lousy philosophy um but also just i i pretty much since i watched the original series i've had i've struggled with the way that they have phrased this especially because the vulcans themselves suck at adhering to it Mm -hmm. Even when, this is not an original series podcast, but even in that uh, one famous episode where Spock tries to attend his wedding and then it turns out that it's an elaborate setup by his former fiancé, when he asks her why she did it, the very first thing she says is, uh, Stan wanted me, I wanted Stan, or something like that. And what is desire driven by? It's not driven by logic. Yeah. No, I... You can try to make it sound like it was driven by logic, but fundamentally, desire is an instinct. Mm-hmm. And so, in, and he praises her at the end of this for being absolutely, impeccably logical. <laughs> Which, like, okay, but you're not following your own rules here because you've made unfollowable rules. Yeah. I was actually wondering when this episode started, like, are they going to go there? Are they going to point out the the flaws inherent in the you know, pure Vulcan philosophy. I would have dug that if they had, but their Brennan and Braga are not that brave, so. Berman and Braga? Berman and Braga. Brennan and Braga are the same person. They usually <laughs> are, yes. We do not have a clock for that one. Okay, anyway, that's my much too long rant that is not actually the episode's fault, but the episode kind of brought it to the foreground. Okay. I'm gonna go and The do thing s- you hear in the background is our dog loudly drinking water. It's... At least there's a dog. At least there's a dog. All right. That was actually a really interesting discussion. I did not so. Follow that up with something that's totally uninteresting. (laughs) Whoever it is who... Like, the manufacturer of inoprobaline is is doing something right in the marketing department, and I think possibly something unethical. And what is anoprobaline? 
it is what they what Flox prescribed to Paul for her um, sex dream induced headache. Well, he didn't so much prescribe it as she was like, "Give it to me." Oh, that's right. Was so like, she, okay. yeah, she she demanded it because she saw a commercial that said, "Ask your doctor about inappropriate." <laughs> I've heard that medication mentioned before, and so, so is it real? No. Okay. No, it's it's a Star Trek term. Okay. But it's been used since um, the Next Generation, in every series since then, for everything. <laughs> this does not seem to be a drug that is used this. for headaches. This is a drug that is used for everything. Like, oh, did you just die? It, as in the episode Tapestry? Here's some Inoprovaline. Like, they give it to, to people for everything. And I'm just like, I, I, I think that they... Either they're just not being careful about this, or this is the wonder drug. This is reminding me of a parody song about wonder drugs. Mm -hmm. There are cures for everything from AIDS to pubic lice in paracetamoxifuzibendroneomycin. Yeah, basically. That's what this medication is. And so I was very... Which is a great song, by the way. Tom Lehrer, right? No, it's it's a British group called the Amateur Transplants. Oh, okay. My apologies. Uh, yeah, that, that's my uh, very not very shallow. So that's another one that is not this episode's fault, but brought it to the foreground. <laughs> Sorry, episode, you're getting blamed for a lot of things that uh, you're more a symptom than the cause. Mm-hmm. Um, my next one is a much smaller one, but the lighting on Tolaris's face was very weird, and I'm still trying to figure out whether it was intentional or not. Mm-hmm. Because I know Vulcans have green blood. And so it would actually make sense for their faces to, you know, be a little bit tinted green. And it, I, I think what was happening is, like, if he were a human, his face would be flushed red. Yeah, and so he was getting flushed, and it was flushed green. Um, which is a cool idea. In execution, it just kind of made him look like he was dying. I didn't get that, but okay. I did. Well, I, this might just be me, but I thought it made him... I found it distracting more than anything. It's kind of common wisdom in theater that you shouldn't put green light or green makeup on anybody unless you want that person to look dead. Because that's just what it does to people when they're under stage lights or cameras. Hmm. Um, And I thought that was kind of what happened here. It just made him look sick more than sexually aroused. All right, then. But yeah, now we're getting on to the little stuff. What else you got? So apparently uh, this Vulcan something... uh, Cobb's dad yeah. said that Cobb had brought shame to 15 generations of our family. Is he a Vulcan or a Klingon? <laughs> that's a fair question. That, like, what that's the heck? a very Klingon line. That's not logical. <laughs> well, again, the Vulcans suck at following their own rules. Yeah, they do, but what? <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. That that no. That that is very Klingon. That that, that really stood that out to me. That feels like, like this was a plot that maybe used to involve Klingons, and then they changed it to Vulcans. Like, no, I get it. It involves Vulcans, and I can understand his father being disappointed in him. But they, no, you're. That's not a thing that Vulcans do. Oh. Yeah, that one did not even register with me at the time, but uh, that's a good point. Yep. Good minus. Uh, I got one more, and I guess this one's a little bigger. Since when is the mind meld some kind of secret forbidden ritual? Yep, that was exactly my remaining one. Okay, as well. yeah, what? That... This casts mind melding in a really 
So like, <laughs> like are, are, is the mind meld going to go from being like a, a weird niche thing that they do to being something that every Vulcan knows about like through the course of this series? And if so, why? Yeah, this, this feels like a very unnecessary and confusing and kind of upsetting origin story for the mind meld. Yeah, like, and this feels very much like a retcon. Yeah. Which, if you don't know, means retroactive continuity, um, where, you know, you just suddenly at some point in the series decide, oh, yes, well, actually, it used to be like, you know, that. And suddenly what people had assumed was the case is no longer the case. Yeah, pretty much. And, And in extreme cases, what had been explicitly shown to be the case is no longer the case. Yep. I do know that we are going to be seeing some more retroactive continuity going on in the show. Yay. Um, involving our favorite friends, the Klingons. Yay. Uh, so we got that to look forward Ooh, to. Ooh, are we going to find out why they look like humans during the uh, original series? Yes. Are they going to try to explain that? Yes. Oh dear. That's I don't. Be fun. I, I think that, that Worf said it best uh, in DS9. But, we uh, do not speak of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was all the explanation you needed. Yeah. Just leave it there. Eh, whatever. We'll get whatever. to. It. We'll deal with that when we get. But to yeah, it. about mind melts. Like, yeah, it's it's weird, and I don't know what. I, I'm I not like a big it. fan of it. No, I don't like it. Yeah. For the reasons that I have already gone into great deal mm-hmm. talking about. So, um, Kirk Award time. Kirk Award time. If you have no idea what we're talking about because you're joining us for the first time. Every show we bestow the James Tiberius Kirk Award on the character who spends the episode keeping the Star Trek legacy alive by doing the best William Shatner impersonation. Take it away. It's going to be a boring this one, boring one this time. Yes. It's Jonathan Archer. Yeah. He's a papa bear to his crew, and especially to T'Pol. He beats up the guy who mind raped her. Yeah. And Or actually, he gets beat up by the guy who mind yeah. raped her, yeah. but then he points a gun at him. Yeah. It's a very Kirk thing to do. Yeah. So congratulations on the Kirk Masculinity Award for this one, yeah. Jonathan Archer. You have uh, you have snatched it yet again. Yep. So, what's our next episode going to be? All right. Well, as always, thank you for listening. And if you did enjoy this, please tell all your friends and family to join the crew. Uh, if you're really enjoying this, please consider leaving us a rating, review, or even signing up for a subscription on the podcast platform of your choice. And if you would like to tell us how we have brightened your day, send us an email at atleastthere'sadog at gmail.com. If you're watching along with us, your next viewing assignment is the episode Rogue Planet. Sounds fun. Sure does. Take care of yourselves, and until next time, remember to go wherever your heart will take you. Bye. Bye. Bye.